In September of 2004, we launched publicly Generations Community Church. We had been meeting for a year. We had been preparing. We had been planning. We had been mapping out logistics. And we were so excited. And on the third Sunday in September of 2004, we got ready at a local elementary school. And we set out about 100 to 150 chairs. And we were convinced it was going to be full. And on the very, that very Sunday, that third Sunday in September, 59 people showed up. The following Sunday, 55. The Sunday after that, 50. The Sunday after that, 48. We were growing. <laughs> do you know what we didn't do much of or what I didn't do much of? Pray. Pray. I'm ashamed to admit it, but in those days, I believed in the power of good leadership. I could quote by memory all of John Maxwell's 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. Law number one, the law of the lid. Leadership determines effectiveness. I mean, I could go on and on, right? I believed in the power of compelling vision. In those days, in the late 1990s and early 2000s, Andy Stanley was the vision pastor. If Andy couldn't set you on fire, you weren't, just, you weren't capable of being burnt. Okay, today that mantle probably belongs to Stephen Furtick or anybody who preaches with a handheld microphone, okay? And so uh, I believed in the power of compelling vision. I believed in effective strategies. And we had, I just talked about our church's strategy about a church becoming a partner for parents in passing on faith to their kids. I mean, who wouldn't want to jump in on that? Apparently lots of people. <laughs> In those early days when we only did kid stuff, we would have people say to us out loud, oh, you don't have a worship service. Well, when you're a real church, let us know. <gasps> oh, we're really real. We promise we love Jesus sometimes. <laughs> okay, so I'm so grateful that the recession hit because it, because it stopped the flow of people flooding into Nicholasville and it meant that we plotted along and it put me in a place to realize that I had the wrong object of faith. I had the wrong object of confidence. I know this is true because I got invited to do a retreat for another church in North Carolina at the same time. So here I was, the church planning expert from Kentucky and I was gonna cross the mountains and I was gonna help them understand how to reach people the way we were reaching people. And I had a big chip on my shoulder. I did. And, whew, oh my goodness. You know what I didn't do much of when I went to that retreat? Pray. Pray. During that same time, Jenny would regularly scold me in our bedroom. And she would say, you think this whole church just rests on you, on your leadership and what you do or don't do. What are you, stupid? Now, fellas, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the voice of the Holy Spirit will sound just like the voice of your wife. It's the, <laughs> wives, sometimes the voice of the Holy Spirit will sound just like the voice of your husband. I mean, it happens. It's the weirdest, it's the weirdest thing, okay? So today I want to give a kind of state of the church message but it's different than the kind I would give in the past where I would be like, here's a compelling vision, get behind me, let's charge the hill. Uh, today I wanna give a kind of different state of the church. Different because I can talk about how is generation. So how is Generations Community Church? 
I think Generations Community Church is set up for an awesome year. And the reason I think that is because the state of your pastor's heart is in a good place. So I wanna talk about that and I wanna unpack that for a little bit. Um, There are three reasons that I think my heart's in a good place. The first has to do with our facilities team. We have a facilities team of five people that have been (laughs) sniffing out properties and places to go because we all have a sense of it's time to leave Lone Oak. Okay, <laughs> let me say that again. It's time to leave on Oak. <laughs> Amen, okay, so we have this sense. And the old me, the old me would have, would have been at every single meeting. I would have been leading the charge to find properties. And, and, and do you know how bad negotiator I am? Like, I stink. Do you know what kind of real estate agent I would make? Horrible. But the old me would have, you know, done all it. You know what I've told the facilities team consistently? Tell me where we're going and I'll show up. (laughs) I'll I'll help move, okay? That's a good sign. Um, The other thing is I'm convinced that God is at work all over the place. And is it true that people who come in through those doors and plunk down and become part of our church family, do they gain something? Yes, there are all kinds of stories and a lot of you have those stories, right? I was hurt or my marriage was in a rough place or any number of things and being here, I, I discovered Jesus again or I, 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 we got in a better spot, okay? And so I get that, but there's also the dynamic of everyone who comes through the doors also gives us something and helps generations become better and stronger. So there's this dynamic relational quality to it. The other reason is uh, this last one, and that's this. Breakthroughs often happen on the heels of trials and setbacks. So last year, 2018, I'm just gonna tell you, for most of the households in this congregation, it was a rough year. It was a rough year. Uh, There was loss, there was all kinds of stuff, all right? The old me, the old Max of 15, 20 years ago, I would get into spots where bad things would happen. Oh God, where are you? I don't understand what's going on. This is so terrible. Don't you care? (laughs) Right? Now I understand that it's it's those trials and those setbacks where I tend to grow the most. I tend to trust God more. It's the funniest thing. I don't know about you, but I've never looked back on my life at a time when everything was going really well and thought, man, I became such a better person because of that. Not once. It's never happened, okay? So that that leads me to conclude that 2019 could have some awesome qualities to it because, again, breakthrough often happens on the heels of trials and setbacks. Uh, If you'll join me in saying, I can't, but God can, if you'll join me in praying first. Pray first before you do, before you go. I think 2019 could have some awesome qualities to it. I believe it could be a watershed year for us. That's why I'm gonna be preaching from, say, now till Easter on the book of Acts. Acts is really the next chapter of the Jesus movement in the first century, but we're also gonna talk about the next chapter for Generations Community Church together. So it's gonna be kind of awesomeness between now and, say, Easter, all right? So you're not here by accident. You're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. And I want you to, if you brought a paper Bible, open it with me to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to look at one passage and something very important that we all need to get from the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9. And we'll go through it section by section. 
Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up a high mountain. If you read the Bible, high mountain is usually a ding, 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 cool stuff is gonna happen, right? And when they're up there, Moses and Elijah appears, okay? Now, Luke tells us that the reason that they went up this high mountain was to pray. Isn't that weird? The guy who could say, I and the Father are one. The guy who could say, I do the will of my Father who sent me. That guy prayed an awful lot, didn't he? I mean, when he picked the disciples, he prayed all night. You know, and I'm thinking like, okay, just Gary, you know, pick, <laughs> pick a, what's so hard, okay? And he would often withdraw alone to what? Pray. Isn't that the weirdest thing? So while he was up on the mountain, he's transfigured. Something happens to the quality of, of his appearance that Peter, James, and John are like, oh, it is the Messiah, ding, 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 ding. And I gotta think that Peter's, because in the previous chapter, he says the whole, you are the Christ, right? Peter's gotta think, called it, nailed it, like previous chapter, I mean, I was coming right out of my mouth, like I didn't need the mountain, I already knew. And, and they're up there, and Verse seven, then a cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son, listen to him. Now clouds are a big deal again. When Moses went up the mountain and God was doing the 10 commandments thing with him, what happened? There was a cloud. When they finished the tabernacle and they dedicated it, what happened? A cloud came and they all had to leave the area. It was just so overwhelming, okay? So again, there's bells are going off. This is a, oh, it is the Messiah, it is the Messiah kind of a moment. When it was over, in Matthew's account, on the way down the mountain, Jesus tells them, now shh, don't say anything to anyone about this until I've been killed and come back. What, huh, what? Yeah. Now, the reason Jesus did that is because uh, they were looking for a political, uh, militaristic Elijah, which is why they missed John the Baptist, and they were looking for a political, militaristic Messiah. By the way, 2,000 years later, people are still looking for a political, militaristic Messiah, okay? <laughs> and, and so... He, he cautions them, don't say anything to anyone. And when they come down the mountain, they encounter this kerfuffle. And here's the meat of the passage. And it's verse 17 and following, okay? One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently on the ground. And he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. How, how long has this been happening? Jesus asked the father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. If you can. 
So this man brings his son who has a form of epilepsy that's connected to demonic activity to Jesus because he's convinced Jesus can do something, probably. And Jesus isn't there. Instead of waiting, right, so he shows up, it's the nine disciples who are left behind. Rather than saying to the nine disciples, well, I'll wait till the boss gets back, he clearly assumes that whatever Jesus could do, they, they could do too. And clearly the disciples thought the same thing, right? They thought, oh, I want you to put yourself in the position of one of those nine disciples for a moment. There are 12 that follow Jesus that are kind of extra special. And consistently Jesus is disappearing with three of them. And you're not one of the three. You're not leadership potential, let's say, okay? So you kind of get why the fights about who's gonna be first and greatest and all that come up a lot, right? And so, so Jesus is up on the mountain and you're one of the nine and you've been left behind again. And a guy comes to you with a problem, a problem that you can solve because you were just sent out in pairs with the authority to heal and cast out demons. This is great. It's gonna be good for you. It's gonna be good for your ego. Hey, Bartholomew, you wanna get this? Oh, sure, bring the boy over here. Everybody, for a step back, we, we've got this. Even though Jesus is up on the mountain, we've got it. Ready? Alakazam! Kaboom! Boing! Nothing. Absolutely nothing happens, okay? They couldn't, they didn't. So, Mark tells us more. Verse 23, Jesus is a little testy. What do you mean if I can? <laughs> Jesus asked. Anything is possible. If a person believes, the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this little boy unable to hear and speak. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. The spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. Uh, a murmur ran through the crowd. He's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and stood up afterward. Um, so so he, Jesus rebukes the spirit. The boy is healed, right? Jesus is stronger than the greatest amount of confidence we have in ourselves. Let me say that again. Jesus is stronger than the greatest confidence we have in ourselves. The kicker is at the end. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in his house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? What does Jesus say? This kind can be cast out only by what? Only by what? I wanna unpack this for a minute. The issue is not the length of the prayer. That's, Jesus does not say, well, here's the thing. You only prayed for 20 minutes, and if you wanna see breakthrough in your life, you gotta put in an hour and a half, I'm telling you. Hour and a half, and it needs to be on your knees on a wooden floor. He doesn't say, well, listen, when you were praying, you didn't use the phrase by the power of the blood. You didn't say in the name of Jesus. And so because you didn't use the right words or the right phrases in the right ways, kaboing, nothing's gonna happen for you. 
No, Jesus doesn't say that either. What Jesus says is, you didn't pray at all. You thought you had this, and you didn't. The issue was a complete lack of prayer. Here's the thing, most of the time you and I don't pray because we think we've got it handled. Most of the time when we don't pray, it's because we think we've got it handled. In Matthew's account, uh, Jesus says something a little different, right? In Matthew's account, he says, you don't have enough faith. It's an interesting phrase. In the Greek, it's just little faith. Um, And little faith has to do with trusting anyone or anything other than Jesus, okay? So if you're trusting in your education, if you're trusting in your training, if you're trusting in the $10,000 that you got in the back of the checkbook for just in case, then your confidence is in those things and not in Jesus, okay? And so that's what little faith means. Let me me ask you a question. Was the father in this account oozing 100% full-on faith confidence in Jesus? You're all shaking your heads no. Can I hear an audible response? Was this father oozing faith? No. No, he wasn't moving faith. He says, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I believe you can do something if you can, (laughs) right? This is not 100% full-on confidence. But what little he has is enough because what little he has is in Jesus and what Jesus can do. Moving a mountain is a Jewish euphemism of the day for what seems impossible, okay? So apparently, if you have anemic, watered-down, doubt-ridden faith, you have enough to move a mountain. Let me say that again. Apparently, even if you have anemic, watered-down, doubt-ridden faith, as long as that faith is in Jesus Christ, it's enough to move a mountain. Let me ask some questions in light of this, right? The first question, is there an area of your life where you rarely or never include God? What are you relying on instead? And I would add, how's that working? Is there an area of your life where you rarely or never include God? And then secondly, have you ever assumed that unanswered prayer is because you didn't have enough faith? I really want to unpack this because this is really important. Most Americans I know think of faith this way. They think of faith as a gas tank. And uh, I know in this room, because this is a little below empty, there are a few of you that look at that and you're like, oh, I've got plenty. <laughs> Most reasonable people look at that and go, ah! Ah! okay? So. The way most of us have a tendency to think about faith is like this gas tank. And we assume that if it's full, if our faith is full, if we've got that much faith, why then mountains will move and stuff will happen. And and we know we're not there, but we hope to get there someday where our faith tank is so full that boom, all these amazing things happen. But apparently what Jesus is trying to say in this context is even that much faith right there, is that a lot of faith based on that gas gauge? 
even that much faith right there, as long as it's in Jesus Christ, is enough for the impossible to happen. This is huge. This is huge. It, is, it doesn't matter the amount, 5%, 30%, 70%. What, a, what matters is the object of your faith. Okay, so how, how does this look like at home? Well, first of all, I would say familiarity with Jesus can hinder us from seeing Jesus for who he really is. Familiarity can hinder us from seeing Jesus for who he really is. Peter, James, and John are up on the mountain and they miss the fact that this Messiah is gonna suffer and die. They know he's a Messiah, but they miss the kind of Messiah Jesus really is, right? If you grew up in church and you learned all the Bible stories and you sung the hymns and you have an attendance star, it's entirely possible that you may be so familiar with Jesus that you cannot see who he really is and what he can really do, okay? Uh, we could all hear, heed God's command, this is my son, listen to him, okay? Listen to Jesus. Uh, the second thing is pray. This is what I'm learning. I'm glad we do this at every meeting we have. We start off and what do we do first? We pray. And again, it's not the length, it's not the passion, it's not the using the right words, it's the fact that you're acknowledging from the get-go, I can't, but God can. I can't, but God can. Um, don't assume that your skills, your education, your experience, what you have in the bank is enough. Again, it's not the amount, it's not the right words, it's trusting Jesus. The third way that we can take it home is put yourself in places that force you to depend on God. There was a time five or six years ago where church finances were such that I didn't know if I would get a paycheck sometimes, right? Jenny and I would write that God check not necessarily knowing how the rest of the month would pan out. I never missed my mortgage, by the way, okay? Um, that was an exercise of faith on my part. Um, another place that I do it in my life is uh, volunteering with youth. For the youth that are here, you're welcome and I'm sorry. <laughs> youth are not, it's not a strong point of me. It's I don't feel like any kind of expert or any aspect of students or youth at all. But, and by putting myself into that context, I have to what? Depend on God. I have to pray. I have to depend on God, okay? The last thing is own your doubts and fears and go to Jesus with them. When you're doubting and you're afraid, the way it happens in America is we tend to take those doubts and those fears and we tend to go away and hide. That's probably the worst thing you can do. Um, you hide from Jesus and you hide from the church because you think somehow you're deficient. Everyone else can trust God, but you can't. And you've got these issues. And so you go in a corner and you hide. And the truth of the matter is, I hate to tell you this, this room right here is full of doubters. <laughs> it's full of doubters who doubt from time to time. It's normal, it happens. The best thing that we can do is run to Jesus and that includes his bride, the church, when we're not sure. When we are saying, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief, okay? In the summer of 2003, um, Jenny and I knew that God wanted us to plant a church. Um, we had absolute clarity about 
plant a church, start a church, plant a church. I mean, for two years, it had been churning in us. We had complete clarity. We knew what God wanted. We just lacked courage. Or let me rephrase that. I lacked courage. And so we were going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And so two days before school started uh, in Jessamine County, uh, when Jenny had already gone that morning and looked at the job board and saw there were no jobs open in Jesmond County, we, we sat at the end of our bed and I prayed, we prayed. And I prayed an unbiblical prayer, an unscriptural prayer, prayers you shouldn't pray, but I prayed it because I was desperate and I felt like I wanted clarity. I had clarity, what I needed was courage. So at the end of the bed, we pray this prayer. God, if you really want us to start this church, he made that already clear. Then today, give Jenny a job in one of these two schools in Jessamine County, like by the end of the day today, amen. And when we were done praying that prayer and Jenny left, in my mind, I was like, well, when she comes back and tells me that there's no job, at one of these two schools, we're gonna have to figure out what we're doing next. Like, we gotta get this solved. I didn't know that the night before, there was a principal at one of those two schools had had another teacher tell him that she was leaving, her husband had been transferred. And all he had was a pile of first year teacher applications that he had interviewed. And so he prayed a prayer that night, and the prayer he prayed was, God, I can't hire another first year teacher. I have too many already. I need you to send me a veteran, somebody who's got some years under their belt. And I need you to send me that person tomorrow because I got to hire them. Okay? I know, it's the weirdest things how stuff happens. Okay, so Jenny, of course, goes to that school and they have the conversation and they're both like, what? What? Okay? And, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, God's at work. This is weird and kind of creepy. And so, boom, right? Here's the thing, you wouldn't be sitting here if I hadn't prayed. In that moment, did I, was I oozing 100% full-on confidence in God? No. Was it enough? Yes. 